Hello everyone and welcome back to the Blaze Experience once again. Today we are back with yet another State of Decay episode. And this is episode number 41 for the Blaze Experience. So thank you for joining us once again. Today we actually have a lot to discuss. There was a new patch in State of Decay. So we're going to talk about patch 4.2. We're also going to talk about the Red Talon facilities once again. I know we talked about them a little bit in episode 32. But today we're going to talk about them after I've gotten a chance to use them a little more and determine which one you should be using more so than the other ones. But before we get into that, just a couple of news items at the top of the show here. Our next episode is going to be Wednesday. That will uh, probably be a shorter episode, but it's going to be on cargo runs and Sea of Thieves because hopefully, you know, if it actually was released like it was supposed to be, then in Sea of Thieves, the cargo runs for the new DLC are out now. So we'll be talking about the new cargo runs in that uh, game. That's part of the new Forsaken Shores DLC. So we will revisit Sea of Thieves and talk about those a little bit. That'll probably be a shorter episode, though. Um, probably about 40, 45 minutes max on that one. And our next stream, I know on Wednesday's episode, I actually said that it was going to be Tuesday. But we're going to actually have to change the date. Our next stream will probably be Wednesday, October 17th, and it's probably going to be an 8 to 12 thing again, I'm assuming, but this is supposed to be a stream on Generation Zero, and Generation Zero is a new game coming out for Avalanche Studios. It's supposed to come out next year, but I have been invited to the beta for that, so as long as I'm allowed to, then I will hopefully be streaming the beta for Generation Zero. But if I am not streaming that on that day, then that means that there is an NDA under it. So um, they haven't contacted me back yet. So I'm not quite sure if there's an NDA or if there's not an NDA, but we'll have to see if there's no NDA, then I'll stream that on Wednesday and we'll check out that beta and see how that game is. But furthermore, probably, you know, the biggest news, I will officially announce today that the next State of Decay community event will be happening between Monday, October 29th, and Thursday, November 1st. So it's going to be a four-day event around Halloween, and it's going to be basically competition-based. We're going to have both solo and duo competitions. There's going to be familiar faces that were in Decay Fest, so some of the people that were in Decay Fest, you'll see them once again. But we also have some new people getting involved as well. So you're going to see a lot of streamers, a lot of great content. You know, We're going to have the podcast, obviously, as well. But there's going to be a lot of content for that week, and it should be a really fun week. You know, it's going to be a little bit of a shorter event since it's only four days instead of a full week. But we're going to have a great event going on. And as it gets closer, I will announce more details. But all I'm going to announce right now is that the event dates are the 29th of the 1st. And it's going to be solo and duo competitions going on. And that's all announced so far. But that should, you know, give you an idea what's going to be coming up. So look forward to that. I'm definitely looking forward to it myself, and it should be a lot of fun. And then also, before we actually get into the topics that we're talking about this episode, I do want to mention some news that came out from Jeffrey Card and Jurgen from Undead Labs. So first of all, we have some corrections from last episode that Jeffrey Card told me. So last episode, we obviously talked about the new Red Talon fist skills, and Jeffrey Card corrected me on something I had wrong. So Thank you for correcting me on that, Jeffrey. I really appreciate that. But basically what Jeffrey told me is the following. So the breakdown of what a skill does is generated automatically. 
The reason the lower level knowledge buff appears on the red talent skills is because if they didn't, the facility effects require knowledge of X, like craftsmanship, medicine, etc., wouldn't be unlocked by those skills. Knowledge of means. It means I unlock the facility actions gated on this buff. So he also said, note that this demolition skill does not unlock the things that are contingent on computers or chemistry, only electronics and munitions. Jeffrey is saying here is that the knowledge of something, knowledge of, you know, craftsmanship, knowledge of medicine, whatever it is, that means that the actions that are gated on that buff will apply to that. So if, you know, knowledge of craftsmanship, let's just say it gave you two labor, then it would allow you to get that two labor, for example. What it doesn't mean, though, is in the case of demolitions, for example, demolitions gives you knowledge of electronics and knowledge of munitions. That does not mean they get to lower level up once. So electronics comes from computers and munitions comes from chemistry. So what that means is demolitions doesn't have knowledge of computers and it doesn't have knowledge of chemistry. So that means any lower level things you would need computers or chemistry for, it wouldn't have those. So a lot during that podcast, I talked about how it seemed redundant that something would say, you know, knowledge of electronics and knowledge of computers. I said it seemed redundant that I would say that. It's actually not redundant because what Jeffrey is telling us here is that if it doesn't say knowledge of the lower level skill, it's not going to have that at all. What I thought happened is I thought it was where knowledge of electronics automatically means it has knowledge of computers. That's not the case. So I'm glad I know that for sure now. Um, I definitely knew that, you know, the stuff that was gated under that buff applied to that buff. But what I didn't know is that like knowledge of munitions automatically gives you knowledge of chemistry. That is not true. I always thought that when it says knowledge of a higher level buff, like a specialization, that it automatically means you get the lower one. So for example, if something said knowledge of plumbing, you wouldn't have knowledge of utilities. So that's really good to know. And that is why it's not redundant that you see both of those on there, because in order to have knowledge of the lower level buff, then you have to have that lower level skill applied to there. So I hope that makes sense how I explained it. But basically, if you wanted knowledge of gardening, it would have to say knowledge of gardening. You wouldn't be able to have knowledge of agriculture and then automatically have it have knowledge of gardening. So hopefully that makes sense. But you'd have to have the lower level one listed on there as well as the higher level one if you wanted both. That does make a lot of sense. And I'm glad I have that corrected now. So thank you once again, Jeffrey, for correcting me on that. In addition, though, Jurgen from Undead Labs, he actually um, gave me a link to a Reddit post he made because I asked during the last Undead Labs stream, why is it that, like, say this new patch that came out, why is it called patch 4.2 and not patch 5.0? I wasn't sure how the difference of that applied. So I wasn't sure, you know, why some patches have a point something on it and some patches are a you know brand new number. And he actually made a post on Reddit explaining this, and it was very detailed. So I'm going to go through that post really quick, and then I'll talk about it. But it was very detailed, and he gave a lot of insight into why the numbering system works that way. So what he said on Reddit is this. When we release an X.0 version or a major version, example 3.0, 4.0, and the future 5.0, it all works with what we finished since the last major version. When we release an X.Y version or a minor version like 4.1 or 4.2, it's a specific set of changes that were handpicked on top of the most recent update. This way, after we release Daybreak, which is 4.0, we could both work 
on civic improvements to Daybreak and important bug fixes, which are 4.1 and 4.2, as well as working on a bigger update that'll take longer to finish, 5.0. When we handpick changes that we have to weigh the urgency of an issue, like the audio issue was very urgent, against the risk of introducing a change, like new features are typically higher risk than a small bug fix to an existing system, to balance the stability risk of the QA time required against the desire to get an update out faster. So he did say the only exception is that sometimes we're working on two major updates at the same time. What we do right now is that we'll turn off half-finished functionality before finishing an update. As an example, after 4.0 came out, we've been working on changes for 5.0 as well as some other changes for 6.0. So in order to make sure we get the changes for 5.0 out sooner, we, when we release 5.0, we'll take off the 6.0 functionality that's still in development. So I know that's a mouthful, obviously, but I wanted to make sure I got the full explanation. You all had the full grasp of what he's talking about. But essentially, breaking it down more so, what he's saying is that the bigger numbers, like patch 5.0 when that comes out, that is a lot more in-depth. It has a lot more fixes overall. It's going to be a much bigger patch. The 4.1 and 4.2, those are basically smaller patches, so... So essentially the 4.1 and 4.2, things like that, those are smaller fixes or fixes that are more urgent. Like for example, the audio bug we're going to talk about. So those are really urgent fixes they had to spend a lot more time on in the moment, or they're smaller things that apply to the last big release. So for example, Daybreak was patch 4.0. So patch 4.1 and 4.2, those are probably going to be smaller fixes related to Daybreak, which was the last major release. Patch 5.0, when that comes out, they haven't released any info on what's going to be in it, but Patch 5.0 presumably should be a lot more fixes in a broader sense. So it might have some, you know, daybreak fixes, it might have some main game fixes, but it should be a lot more in-depth of a patch, and it should be a patch that has a lot more to dissect to it. And then the stuff he was talking about with working on two major updates at the same time, basically what they're saying here is that the changes that they're working on for patch 6.0, which is going to come out later in the future, they're going to turn off the functionality for those patch changes. So, I don't know, just for example, say a certain type of zombie was bugged out and a certain type of zombie wasn't working properly. If that fix that they made for that wasn't supposed to be released till patch 6.0, they're going to turn off that functionality. So, meaning when patch 5.0 releases... Technically, the fix that they have for that particular issue will technically be in the game, but they are going to turn it off until they have all of patch 6.0 to release. At least that's the way I'm understanding it. So hopefully I got that right, but it definitely makes a lot of sense to me, and I'm definitely glad I know that now. So essentially, you know, if you really if you really want to make it simple, basically a new number like patch 5.0, patch 6.0. That means a very big patch, a smaller number like 4.1, 4.2, that means a smaller patch. So if you really want to simplify it, that's the most simple way to look at it, probably. That being said, that's a couple of news items that I had from Jeffrey and Jorgen. So we're going to get into patch 4.2 now. And as I just explained with all that, patch 4.2 is a smaller patch, but it does have some important fixes to it. So... They have a section labeled critical fixes, and we're going to save that for last because that's too critical to talk about right at the top, I think. Yeah, I think we should save that for last. You know, it's so critical that we got to wait for the end for that one. So, you know, we'll hold off a second for that one. We'll, we'll do that one at the end. 
but they had some daybreak fixes that we'll talk about. So the first one, red talent traits, skills, and hero bonuses should no longer appear on non-red talent characters. So that's pretty self-explanatory, but it's definitely a good fix because I did hear stories of some people having these red talent bonuses and things appearing on characters that weren't part of red talent. So that is good for the player in a sense, but it's bad for the balance of the game because then you have characters that aren't supposed to have those, you know, high power bonuses getting those high power bonuses. So like if, you know, a regular person had the skill of warfighting, that's not really that fair because that's a super huge skill that's meant for red talent characters only. So essentially the people that got this stuff, they got a free bonus. So you're no longer going to be able to get those free bonuses, basically. They also fix an issue where if a player in Daybreak is looking at the shared inventory disconnected, other players were blocked from accessing the inventory, which this is something I didn't experience, but I think what they mean here is basically if someone's looking at the boxes that are in the back, like the boxes that are behind the technician, if somebody's looking in one of those boxes and they disconnect, I guess it was blocking everyone else from opening that box because the game still thought the player was in the box. So I can see why that'd be a huge issue because if somebody disconnected while doing that, basically that entire box and everything in it is off limits the rest of the game, which that's definitely not fun at all. So I'm glad they fixed that. And I'm glad that if anyone disconnects while doing that now, it's fixed and you don't have to worry about it anymore. So definitely a great fix there. Hopefully um, no one's experienced that anymore. In addition, you can now properly deliver the special standing execution move unlocked by the heroism skill. And they kind of had some subtext there. All that red challenge training has to be worth something, right? So basically the heroism skill, some people were finding that their standing execution move wasn't working properly. And now it should be. So that's a great thing there. Because if you have those skills, then the things that come on those skills should work properly. So it's good that that's working now. In addition to that, there's another skill that had issues as well. The tactic skill now properly allows a character in stealth to silently open locked doors. So basically characters that had the tactic skill, they couldn't unlock locked doors while moving in stealth mode. And that's a huge part of that stealth skill is to be able to unlock doors without making noise. Because if you're making noise where you're unlocking doors, that's not very stealthy, obviously. So if you have that stealth skill, you should be able to do that without worrying about it. Now that will work properly with the tactic skill. Red Talon recruits who are euthanized no longer remain in a static standing position. And they joked kind of that that's just a little bit too disciplined. So basically, if you euthanize a Red Talon character, then they would stay standing instead of actually, you know, falling to the ground, which that's kind of crazy that they stay standing while you euthanize them. So it's good that that's not going to happen anymore. I'm not really sure why you'd want to euthanize a red talent character anyways, but if you want to do that, then it's not going to have them still stand standing. Now, this is an interesting um, update here. Players will no longer automatically and erroneously unlock the cargo cult achievement while downloading Daybreak. Building the Clio Relay Facility is how you get it now as originally intended. Basically, what used to happen is if you downloaded Daybreak, you would automatically get the cargo cult achievement. And the reason why is because it was linked to a different facility and anyone who had already built that similar facility would automatically get the achievement so let's just say it was linked to i don't know the forge and you would already built a forge at some point then you'd automatically get the achievement but now it's working properly where you have to actually build the clio relay facility in order to do it 
So that is a great change, and that makes it so people have to actually do the proper thing to get the achievement, which is nice. Also, it's no longer possible to accidentally place the Red Talon Watchtower facility into a slot that prevents your survivors from actually being able to get inside the facility. So that's a big change there because I didn't ex personally experience this because I don't know what base that was at. But if you're at a base that allows you to place a facility in a slot that won't let your people get into that slot, then it kind of wastes the whole facility. So I'm not really sure what um, what base this is actually at this is occurring at, but let's just say it was like the let's just say it was Knight's Family Drive-In where the movie theater is. And let's just pretend you're placing this too close to another building. Maybe it was making it so your actual people couldn't get up the ramp in order to get into the watchtower. So that's what I assume was happening is it was being placed too close to something else and it wouldn't allow your character to get into that facility. So now that's not going to happen now. Um, so now I'm not sure what they did to fix it, but maybe the facility will just be facing a different direction. That way it works now. So that is great. And that's uh, awesome that it's not going to affect gameplay anymore. The description text for remote rocket pods now clarifies that you can only detonate one of them at a time. So that's important because with remote rocket pods, when I was first using them, I didn't know you could only do one at a time. Um, so it is nice to have that in the description. That way people would know that because when I was first using them, it, I didn't know that at first. So I would place down a couple of them and then I try to blow them up and they go, Oh, only one of them blew up. So I knew that already, but for anyone that didn't already know that that's helpful to know that. And this is probably my favorite fix for the daybreak fixes in this patch. The bloater gas clouds and daybreak now play their proper audio every time. So. That is really huge because if a bloater blows up and you're fighting another zombie, you know, across the map, it's good to actually hear that audio cue. That way, you know, there's bloater gas behind you somewhere. It's not good to, you know, just back up and, you know, instantly hit some bloater gas without realizing it. Because if that audio cue doesn't happen, then you're going to find yourself in situations where you didn't know a bloater exploded. So it's really good to have that audio cue in there. And it's very important to have it in the section. Other fixes. They fixed a number of localization issues, and in addition to fixing that, they fixed a soft lock that would occur if a player died via injury while entering a vehicle at the same time. And they said it sounds weird and hard to pull off, but it was totally happening. So I'm not really sure how you make that happen, but I guess some players were dying while entering a vehicle at the same time, and that was causing a lot of issues. So that's great that it's not causing issues anymore, but... Anyone that was experiencing that, you know, rest assured, it is fixed now. But, you know, I, I said we go back to the critical fix at the end. This this is the big one of this patch. And, you know, it was too critical to talk about it first. No, I'm, just, I'm obviously kidding, of course. I mean, this is the main part of this patch. That's why I wanted to save it for last. But they have said we were finally able to reproduce the dreaded audio blowout bug in dev environment. And we have a new intended fix. As before, if you encounter the bug after installing the update, please let us know. So this is really huge news. The audio bug happened when you're driving cars usually. And I only experienced it one or once or twice myself. But I know there's been other streamers, other players that have experienced it a lot more than I have. So this is a very bad bug because what would happen is it'd be a short amount of static. And then after that static, you would have no sound in your game. 
And that's a really bad bug because you need sound in this game. You need to know when zombies are behind you. You need to know when there's juggernauts around you. You really need the sound in this game. So this is huge. They fixed this, and I'm really glad that it's fixed. Of course, you know, if you still have issues with it at all, please let them know because it's very important that they have every iteration of this fixed. I know they did a, a smaller fix on it in a previous patch, but they didn't have all the iterations down. And I guess they're hoping that they have all the iterations um, fixed of it now. So if you still experience it all, let us know. But it should be fixed for good now, which is awesome. And that's very important to have that fixed. So it's a huge fix. That audio bug is now fixed and everyone can rest assured with that. Now that that's fixed, personally, my biggest pet peeve that I'm hoping is fixed next is in Daybreak, there's a bug right now that if you use a bandage on yourself, it actually takes two bandages away instead of one. So if you have a stack of three bandages and you go to use one, you'll have one left. So basically, the game will waste a bandage for you in Daybreak. So that's my biggest pet peeve that um, I'm hoping they fix next. I know they already know about it and they're working on it. So I'm not worried about it at all. I know they're going to fix it. It's just a matter of when they fix it. So that's my personal biggest pet peeve next. So hopefully that one's in the next patch. But that being said, that's our patch 4.2. So, you know, it's a pretty small patch, but it had some important fixes to it. And obviously, as we learned from Jurgen's statement, that basically patch 5.0, when that does come out, that should be a bigger patch that has a lot more to it, which makes sense because if you think back to patch 4.0, you know, patch 3.0, those are pretty big fixes. So that makes a lot of sense. And I can't wait to see what's fixed next. But of course, we said we would get into the Red Talon facilities again. In episode number 32, we did get into these a little bit, so we did already have some experience with them, but we're going to get back into them again now and kind of re-go over them a little bit because I've actually built them all. I've actually got to try them all out. Back in episode 32, it was more in theory because that was before Daybreak actually released, so I knew what they did, but I didn't get a chance to try them yet. So now that I've had a chance to try them, we're going to talk about these four facilities again and then rank them. And when I say four facilities, obviously that's not including the Cleo Relay. And I know the Cleo Relay is technically a new facility, but the Cleo Relay is something I'm going to talk about in a future episode because that's something that I think deserves its own, you know, segment at least because that's a big enough facility and it has big enough implications in the game that I think it deserves its own place. So I don't think it really fits in well with the other four facilities. So we will talk about the Clio Relay on the podcast. Don't worry. Just it's not going to be this episode. It'll be a future episode. But as with patch notes, I usually try to pair something else with the patch notes because sometimes the patch notes don't take that long to go through. And I still want to give everyone a full episode. So I try to pair something else smaller with that. So that's why we're talking about the Red Talon facilities again. And we're going to go through and rank them, which is something I didn't do before. So, that being said, our Red Talon Bunk Room, just to remind everyone, this costs 1500 Prestige. It's 50 pounds for the prefab for it, anyways. And it gives you five beds in a small facility slot with a small morale penalty. So, you know, definitely having that five beds in a small slot, that's definitely a good thing. But I did find out with this Red Talon Bunk Room, um, aesthetically, it's not as impressive as I thought it'd be. Just the look of it. it Honestly, the barracks looks better in my opinion. The barracks, you know, has 
a really interesting design to it where it has the tarps around it. The bunk room, it just kind of looks like, I mean, I guess it's supposed to look this way, but it kind of looks like, you know, there's a couple of beds thrown into a slot. So I guess that's how it's supposed to look. Just it doesn't have a distinctive look to it in my opinion. So I, I was a little bit disappointed by the look of it, but the functionality of it, I mean, it does function as advertised. You know, it's five beds in a small slot. So that's very helpful for a smaller community. And I should mention a couple of things about the facilities as well. These facilities, you're going to need two small indoor slots and two small outdoor slots in order to build all four. So there is an achievement that you have to build all four of these in your base. You're going to need two small outdoor slots and two small indoor slots to do that. So not every base can do that. So if you're at one of your bases already, make sure you look at what your base has available for slots to see if it's possible to do that. If not, you might have to move to a new base in order to fit all these in there. I think what makes it really challenging is not a lot of bases have the two small indoor slots. So you might need to move to a new base that has that. Currently, I'm at Squellion's Brewery in Meager Valley. And that one actually can fit these facilities. So if you want to fit all these facilities in Squellions, you can definitely do that. Personally, I will, I guess I won't spoil it to the rankings, but I will say that I'm using three of these facilities right now. One of these facilities I'm not using currently. And the other thing I want to mention, there's basically prefabs that you have to buy in order to build all these facilities. So you play Daybreak, you get influence from Daybreak, and then you call in the prestige trader in the main game. And then from that prestige trader, you're going to buy the prefabs to make these facilities. So think of it as like, think of these like a pop-up tent or a pop-up trailer. So you have that pop-up trailer, you're towing it behind your car, and then you just hit a button and it makes a facility. You know, it makes your trailer, basically. So you, you have your pop-up tent and there you go. It's all ready for you. That's kind of how I see these facilities. Basically, you're buying from the trader a pop-up Red Talon bunk room. You're buying a pop-up Red Talon workshop. So essentially, that's how you can look at it. That's how I personally look at it. You're buying these prefabs that instantly, you know, you hit a button and it pops it up. So that's how I would look at it. So basically, you buy all these prefabs, which, you know, cost you different amounts, which we're going we're gonna to mention those amounts. The bunk room we talked about is 1500 prestige. And then you have to have your two small indoor, two small outdoor slots to build them. But what's interesting, and I'm really glad they did it this way, if you move bases, so say you had the bunk room already built and you move to a new base, you're going to get that prefab back. You don't lose that prefab. It's basically the same thing as using facility mods. So when you move bases, the facility mods you had installed, you automatically get those back. So it's really good that you get these prefabs back so you can still build these facilities later on. So don't worry about that. You can still build them later on. One thing I haven't tried, though, and I'm kind of curious about is, say, for instance, you wanted two Red Talon bunk rooms. I'm curious if you'd have to have two prefabs to do that. I would assume you would, but I haven't tried it yet. So say you had a community of 10 people and you wanted to use two small slots to have two bunk rooms to cover all 10 of your people. I'm not sure if you'd have to have two prefabs to do that. I would assume you would personally, because I think it's you know kind of like a pop-up trailer, like I said. So I think you would have to have two prefabs in order to do that. But it's not something I personally tried out because with my community, I'm personally fine having one. All right, but moving on, we have our Red Talon Workshop. This is also 50 pounds when you're carrying the prefab. It costs 2,500 prestige for this one. So this one costs a little bit more. It's got a built-in power supply for that facility only. And then it passively prepares melee and ranged weapons. So 
basically any weapon that's damaged in your supply locker is going to passively repair those while you're out doing other things. It does take a little while and it won't repair something fully. Like for example, if it looks like it's repaired in your locker, if you take that out and use it, it might only take one or two hits to damage it again. So you have to leave your stuff in your locker for a long time for it to be fully, fully repaired where it can take a bunch of hits again. But it is really nice to have that because you can just take out a weapon that's fresh to go, use that weapon for a while, and by the time you come back to base, you're going to have other weapons that are already repaired. So it's really nice to have that. And this Red Talon Workshop is amazing, I think. So the Officer Quarters, this costs 2,500 prestige. The prefab is 50 pounds again. They're all 50 pounds. And this one's interesting. It provides two beds. It provides a morale boost. And it has time boost to labor, action speed, and experience gain. So what that means is think of this kind of like a lounge where a lounge has all these different things you can do to get more morale. You, know, you can schedule a break. You can play games or whatever you want to do in your lounge. This is kind of the same way where it has different things you can do. One of those things is going to boost your labor for a little while. So you might get like, you know, two more labor for an hour. One of these things will give you better action speed. So you have better action speed for a certain amount of time. And the other one, which is really cool, say you're going on a run to take out a bunch of play cards or something. You can actually use the one that gives you experience gain and you can get an experience gain while you do all that fighting. So these are really cool bonuses. And honestly, the officer quarters actually is a lot better than I thought it'd be. Because these bonuses are very cool, and it's not something you get a lot in other facilities. And last but not least, we have our Red Talon Watchtower. This costs 1,500 prestige. It also is 50 pounds to carry the prefab. And then this supports up to three guards, and it passively reduces threat more than any other watchtower. It gives you minus six threats. So basically, this watchtower is the best watchtower in terms of reducing threat. I could be wrong, but I think technically the church on the hill in Cascade Hills, that has a bell tower, and I think that bell tower reduces the threat by seven. So I think technically speaking, that bell tower actually has the least amount of threat, but um, that's not really a watchtower per se. It's, you know, an actual physical tower. So I think that's where the difference applies possibly. And that bell tower is supposed to um, have zombies come towards you in order to use that too, I believe. So... That might be why they don't count that in there. But other than that bell tower, the Red Talon Watchtower definitely has the least amount of threat other than that bell tower. So yeah, this watchtower, honestly, the aesthetics and the look of this watchtower is so amazing. Like, it has black catwalks and it just feels so cool walking up this watchtower and standing up there. I mean, to me, this watchtower has the best look of any watchtower. Like, it just feels so cool to actually walk up those black catwalks stand at the top of it and kind of just chill there for a second looking out across your base. And to me, the look of this watchtower is amazing. Honestly, the officer quarters, that looks really cool too. The workshop looks really cool too. The bunk room is the only one that doesn't really look that great to me. But this watchtower for looks, if it was if I was ranking based on looks alone, the watchtower would be number one because I love the looks of this watchtower. Um, the look of the workshop and the officer quarters, I like the look of those a lot too. Just the watchtower is more um, along my style, I think. But now that we've kind of went through them all again, we'll go over our rankings real quick. So number four, we're going to have our Red Talon bunk room. And the reason why I rank this number four is simply it does have to do with the looks a little bit. You know, I don't think it looks that great compared to the other ones. But on top of that, 
the five beds in a small facility slot, that is very useful and it's great for smaller communities and things. But part of the reason why I ranked number four is because there's other ways to get the effects of this. So if you build a barracks level two, you probably won't need this as much. And there's also a red talent hero bonus that gives you minus three beds used. So if you have that hero bonus, you're not going to need as many beds as well. Plus, if you have the hacking fifth skill from the Red Talon soldiers, you can get seven outposts. So if you already have seven outposts, plus that hero bonus, which gives you minus three, there's other ways around this where you don't really need those five beds. So you can use a couple of outposts to get beds. So basically, the Red Talon bunk room, it's great for providing options. So if you're in a really small base, this does provide you a lot of options. Just if you already have other options that work better for you, you're not going to need this as much. So I would say the Red Talon Bunk Room, it's great as an option. It's just not great as something to use in every single base. It's it's definitely something you're going to want to have in order to use it in future bases, but it just depends what base you're at, and it depends on your personal situation. Currently, my personal situation, I don't need it because I have other ways to get beds that are cheaper for me, and they're more advantageous for me, but... Say I move to the bridge fort. If I was in the bridge fort, I probably want the red talent bunk room because I don't have a lot of options in that bridge fort to make use of my space. But at Squellion's Brewery, I don't really need the bunk room because I have other options. I mean, and the officer quarters, that gives me two beds as well. So it just depends on what options you have, what base you're at. So the red talent bunk room is definitely useful. But for me, it's number four just because it's more of an option. It's not a necessity. The ones I have ranked ahead of this, I think, are more necessities rather than options. Number three is the Red Talon Watchtower, and I love the look of this, and it does do a great job offering you um, re reduction in threat. You also have three guards, which is awesome, so you can really keep out zombies in your base. I'm not a huge fan of using Watchtowers just because it costs you an ammo per day to use it. So one ammo for three guards, that is a nice bonus. Just the fact that you're using one ammo every day, I'm not as big a fan of it, but it is very nice to have it. So I don't think this is as much of a necessity as it is a really cool bonus to have at your base. So if you have the space, I would recommend using this if you have the space. And currently I have the space at Squellion's. Um, normally I probably destroy it, but it looks so cool that I don't want to destroy it. So I'm keeping it for now. And it really helps with threat, too, because if you do get a zombie raid, even with the minus six threat, you're going to have three guards up there shooting zombies. So it's really nice to actually keep the zombies at your base. That's very effective, and it's great for that. So if you're having trouble with zombies attacking your base, you probably want a red town on Watchtower. So for me personally, it's not a necessity, but depending on the base I'm at, it's very nice to have it there. Number two is the officer quarters. And this is something I didn't think I'd like as much as I do. The officer quarters, though, it provides two beds, and it has the morale boost, and then it has all those time boosts that you can give it. So you can get a time boost to labor, action speed, or experience. And to me, this is something that you can't get as often. I mean, if you have the movie theater and Knight's Family Drive-In, you can get some of these bonuses, but there's a lot of bases that you can't get some of the stuff that the officer quarters offers you, which is it's very nice to have that, because having that experience gain is really nice, having action speed if you need it. Or if you're in a pinch and you really need some more labor, then you can use the officer quarters to get you more labor. So it's very nice to have these bonuses available to you. And for that reason, I think the officer quarters, it's probably not a necessity to have at every single base. But 
as long as you have a little bit of space to you, I think this is worth having. Because the fact that it provides two beds while doing all this other stuff, it's almost a no-brainer not to have it, in my view. Because, you know, you have two beds, so that's going to help with your bed situation. And then you're going to have all these other boosts that you already have. So, you know, if you take away the Red Talon Bunk Room, if that never existed, just say for a second that was never made, never existed. We're already used to having small beds in our facilities anyways. So if you already have small beds in your bases anyways, why not use a Red Talon Officer Quarters? Because instead of the small beds, you have Officer Quarters that gives you the two beds that the small beds give you anyways, but it also gives you all these boosts on top of that. So that is really huge. And obviously the Bunk Room provides more beds, but as I said before, the Bunk Room, there's ways around it. Like say you had the Red Talon Hero Bonus that gives you minus three beds. Well, there you go. There's your minus three beds plus your officer quarters. That gives you your five beds that the bunk room gives you. So that's already giving you what the bunk room gives you anyways. So it just depends what hero bonuses you have. It depends what base you're at and how many outposts you have to spare. So like I, like anything in this game, it always depends on your situation. But I think there's more situations that the officer quarters is useful than, say, the bunk room is useful. So that is why it's number two for me. And number one, of course, and there's only one left, the Red Talon Workshop. Out of these four, the Red Talon Workshop is the only one that's a necessity for me. So every single base you go to, you should have this Red Talon Workshop installed. It, it, there's, only, there's basically no reason not to. I mean, it beats any workshop in the game, and you should always have the Red Talon Workshop at any base you're at now. Because it can do everything that a normal workshop can, and then on top of doing everything a normal workshop can... It also passively repairs your weapons. So instead of wasting parts on repairing all of your weapons, all your guns, all your melee items, it's going to repair those for you while they sit in your locker. So you don't have to do anything. You don't have to spend any parts. You don't have to waste time repairing them. Literally, all you have to do is play the game normally. And while you're doing that, it's going to repair all those items for you in your locker. So that is really amazing. And... This Red Talon Workshop is a game changer, and it's really something that's very good for quality of life. So, it's honestly the only one of the four that I think is an absolute necessity, but the other three I think are very useful to the game, and there's none of these four that are bad. I want to make that very clear. Like, even the Bunk Room that I ranked number four, the Bunk Room is not bad at all. The Bunk Room is amazing, and it's very helpful in situations. Just, it depends what situation you're at. If you're at a bigger base you probably don't need the bunk room as much. If you're at a small base, that bunk room is going to be huge at a smaller base. So I love how these four new facilities, they offer you so many options in the game. And that's what's really cool about it is it gives you new ways to play. And I'm all for having new ways to play the game. So, you know, that's our four going through them one more time. Number one, the Red Talon Workshop. Number two, the Officer Quarters. Number three, the Red Talon Watchtower. And number four, the Red Talon Bunk Room. So those are our four. Like I said, all four of these have their uses. And for most of them, it just depends on what base you're at, um, what play style you're doing, how much room you have for outposts. So all four of these are useful in their own ways. It just depends on your situation. The only one that I think is useful no matter what in basically any situation is the Red Talon Workshop. So whether you're at a small base, you're at a large base, you're at a medium base, whether you have outposts to spare, whether you don't, no matter what your situation is, the Red Talent Workshop should be used by every single person in every single base. And 
that's the only one I'm willing to take a stance on. The other three, I'm not going to take a stance and say they're useful in every situation, but that workshop is useful in every single situation in the game. So you should definitely be using that Red Talon workshop. And if you're going to buy these, that should be your first purchase. The rest of them, you know, definitely purchase them all because they're all useful to you. But purchase the workshop first and use that first. But I hope everyone enjoyed that. You know, that's kind of our four facilities going over them again. Once again, I will say that the Clio Relay facility, I will go over that in a future podcast. But I thought that it didn't really pair well with these four because these four are kind of their own unique things. And that Clio Relay facility that goes in a large slot and that's something totally different. So I think these um, four facilities deserve their own, you know, kind of limelight, if you will. I think the Clio Relay facility will speak for itself in a future episode. But hopefully you enjoyed going over those patch notes, enjoyed uh, revisiting the Red Talent facilities. And just to recap our news items from the top of the show real quick. Our next episode is supposed to be Wednesday, going over the cargo runs and Sea of Thieves. So hopefully that release on Thursday was supposed to release on Thursday, and I'm hoping it did. I'm going to try and get in and play that this weekend. That way I can talk about it next week. So that's our next episode on Wednesday. And that is also part of the new Forsaken Shores DLC that we talked about. Our next stream, I have a code coming to me for the Generation Zero beta. This is a game that um, it's similar to State of Decay in the sense that it's open world and it's kind of, you know, it has a lot of strategic elements to it where you're surviving in an apocalypse. But this game, instead of facing zombies, you're facing robots. And I think the concept is really interesting. So I'm excited to play that beta. I haven't heard yet if there's an NDA with this beta, though. So if there is an NDA, I can't stream that. But if there's no NDA involved, then on Wednesday, October 17th, that's this coming Wednesday, I will be streaming that. So I'm definitely going to stream that beta if I am able to stream it. If I'm not able to stream it, then I'm still going to play it and I will get back to everyone as soon as I'm allowed to talk about it. If I can't stream it, I'll um, I'll make sure that I stream something else on Tuesday instead. So if I'm not allowed to stream it, then the Tuesday for this, the 16th, I will stream something else and then I'll just play that by myself on Wednesday. In addition, I'll mention once again, our State of Decay community event will be happening Monday, October 29th to November 1st. It's going to be competition-based, where we're going to have solo and duo competitions going on. It's going to have a lot of streamers, a lot of content creators. There's going to be some creators that were involved in the Decay Fest event we had last time. And there's also going to be new creators that weren't involved last time. So stay tuned for that. I will have more news coming out about that in the coming weeks. But that'll be coming at the end of the month, and I'm very excited for that. So hopefully everyone checks that out and, you know, helps support the event. But that's pretty much all we have for today. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I know it's a bit shorter, but anytime we're talking about patch notes, it's kind of hard because I have to cover the patch notes, but also get enough of an episode. That way it's a full episode. So I try to find things that are a little bit smaller to talk about that kind of fit in nicely with the patch. So I thought that the Red Talon facilities fit in nice with this patch, and hopefully you agree. But I'm definitely happy that Undead Labs keeps fixing things like this, so thank you as always to Undead Labs. You guys do a great job, and I'm really happy that you keep supporting this game. All these patches and all this hard work you put into the game, it really shows, and it really means a lot to the community. So thank you very much for putting all the time into this game. 
But if you want to find the podcast, you probably already know how to do so because you're listening to it right now. But it's available on basically any podcast app. So you can find it on iTunes, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Acast, Blueberry, Podbean. You can find it on Stitcher. Uh, you can find it on your Android phones on an app called Podcast Addict, A-D-D-I-C-T. That's the app that I use on Android. But basically any app you can find it on. If you're in my Discord, then you can also find direct download links because every week on Discord, I post a direct download link. That way you can download it directly to your phone or whatever device you're using. And if you want to contact me, you can do so on that Discord. I will have links in the show notes for my Discord. You can also email me, theblazeexperience at gmail.com. And if you want to, you can contact me on Twitter or Xbox as well. My Xbox and Twitter are the same exact thing. It's going to be Blaze Experience, capital B-L-A-I-S-E, capital X-P-E-R-I-E-N-C-E. So that is how you can contact me on either Twitter or on my Xbox. But that being said, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And I'd really appreciate any feedback. If you want to leave us an iTunes review, those iTunes reviews really help us grow because that's kind of how people find out about us. So if you are using iTunes, please go ahead and give us a review on iTunes. If you're not, that's perfectly fine. You can fe- give me feedback you know, on Discord or however you want to give me feedback, but any feedback is appreciated, good or bad. Thank you very much, everyone, and I really appreciate it. Thank you, as always, for listening to The Lace Experience. Thank you.